0: Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivvy. I'm the host, Zivvy Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zivvyverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Zivvyverse, and we're going with it. Go to zivvyowens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZiviOwens. Carrie Sun is the author of Private Equity, a memoir. Carrie was born in China and raised in Michigan. She holds an MFA in creative writing from the New School. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband. Private Equity is her first book. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Private Equity, a memoir.
2: Thank you so much, Zibby, for inviting me onto your podcast.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. I found your story to be so interesting. You do a real deep dive into what this particular job and culture was like, but you wove in so much with your own family and your own sort of vices that get in your way and health. And well, maybe you should, sum- hold on. you summarize the book for everybody else. I was getting ahead of myself here.
2: Go ahead. Yes. What, Carrie, what is your book about? Yeah, it has all those various <laughs> different threads that I hopefully have woven together into One complete book. I see my book as fundamentally a story about self discovery Mm -hmm. and about the detours that we might take in our lives along the way to finally be where we want to be. And for me in particular, I wrote about my long kind of career detour to rediscover. I think this isn't giving anything away because at the end of the book, I'm rediscovering my love of writing, which is what I've always wanted to be since I was a little very little girl. And in that sense, which is it's especially meaningful and special to me that I'm speaking to you about this journey. Because as I've read from your background, you also went to business school. You know, I was at Wharton, I ended up dropping out, but it's it was all in service of trying to discover who I wanted to be. And it took me decades, actually, to rediscover my love of writing. And so, but before I get there, the book is primarily about my journey on this, on this detour, which I was living in Michigan at the time. And I was in a relationship that I wasn't sure that I wanted to be in. And I was looking for, I was feeling very adrift and lost. And I was just looking for a way out of that. I was In college, I had majored in math and finance, and I never really had the time to take classes in, for example, writing, literature that I I really wanted to take. I just didn't have room in my schedule to take it. So after I dropped out of business school, I ended up taking classes in the humanities that I loved, like philosophy, English literature, writing, creative writing. And I just, I fell in love with it. It was a way for me to find myself. I just, I wanted the time and space to discover myself because I had been on this path of like, go, go, go because of my childhood, my immigrant parental background, as well as, you know, my college years. And so, but I don't come from money or means. So I really needed time and space and a way to afford my life to be able to discover myself. And so financial independence and stability has always been really important to me. And so I I needed a day job And a recruiter on LinkedIn reached out to me with this opportunity. He described it as a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to work as the sole assistant to this major person in finance. And I jumped at that opportunity. I thought this was going to be a perfect path for me because it allowed me to kind of separate compartmentalize my day job and then hopefully my what I would do in my free time it also gave me a way to kind of escape a relationship that I felt was really controlling and so I was able to leave that relationship behind in Michigan move to a new city New York where dreams are made of and where (laughs) you know like so many
0: as I like look out the window at like garbage trucks and you know sirens and you know I'm like dreams are
2: made up. It's like a disaster outside. But anyway, let's go okay. with it.
0: Let's yeah, go with it anyway.
2: <laughs> totally. And, you know, part of my story is having that uh, hope and perfect illusion of what this like life in New York would be like. And I felt so free and I, you know, could be this young person. I thought I was living a like, just, I felt so free to be able to take advantage of this opportunity, but. Even like you say, the, the garbage trucks and, the, you know, the, the smelly trash, you know, in New York during the summer uh, on the sidewalks, there's kind of a gritty side to all of this glamour. And the gritty side that I explore in my book is, is the hustle and grind and the culture of work and overwork. That's what I see my story as really being about. It just happens to be set in the world of high finance and Manhattan hedge funds. But really, it's kind of how do we discover ourselves through work and and how do we ask ourselves so my book is called private equity and I mean in a sense of private like the self and equity in the sense of like just uh fairness so and investment so it's kind of like what is our investment in ourselves what is our private equity in the life that we want to build for our own future and destiny
0: love it was this always the title by the way
2: you know, I didn't have a title for a very long time. Precisely, exactly as you noticed, my book has so many different strands and I just Mm -hmm. wasn't sure exactly how to sum up up entirely. But then, you know, my publishing team and I, you know, threw around so many titles. And when we thought of this, it was just like so perfect because Mm -hmm. it kind of, it captured that world, but also it means so much more, you know?
0: Yep. No, it's great. It's a great title. (laughs) It's a great cover. I mean, the whole thing. Well, so I think well if you'd like my opinion on what you're <laughs> the thing that I think it's like a coming of age through work. And I think it's a um I think it's one of those cautionary tales where we see you physically bearing the brunt of the emotional effects of the lack of balance in your life. So you know your ankle and how is your ankle, by the way? That sounded horrific. When you finally got that diagnosis, I was like, oh my gosh, like I knew she hurt her ankle, but geez, it's like ligaments and this and that. And I was like, there are like five different things going
2: on with your ankle. Are you okay? Can you walk? I I can walk. I am able to, you know, after that, I kind of just stopped running for various reasons. I love to go on walks. So that's okay. I still have the skin scars um, from that first treadmill fall. (laughs) They are very deep. And yes, my body is actually physically bearing the brunt of my inability to balance these extremes, right? So I I think what I'm seeing among my friends and I think most of America, like it's not that we don't want to work hard. I know everyone I know really wants to work hard and they just want their work to both mean something and to be able to integrate wholly into this life that they want to build, you know? And I, I think many of us struggle with how easy it is for work to end up just taking over our lives and consuming everything. And I don't struggle with that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I I have such a good
0: balance. Actually, what I was thinking as you were just talking, not only was like was your life not in balance? You literally, like you fell twice, essentially. You slipped and then you fell. It literally was off balance. Like it is, it was like you were off the axis of of the world. And by the way, that happened to me. And I fell off, I fell off a step mill when my life was out of control also. And I have a scar that's like, you know, two inches long on my right. I, I feel like I shouldn't say this. Like now someone can impersonate me or say saying- do you know about Ziffy's secret scar on her front, front right, you know, cat, uh, I can't even remember the name of my leg, the bottom part of the leg. Anyway, whatever, does Shin, there it
2: is, Shin. Anyway, I'm yeah. I'm so sorry I, to hear that. But no, yes, it, it, it's a perfect yeah. metaphor, actually. And I just like, I couldn't even believe it. As you say, you're so, of course, you are such an astute reader to notice that is, you know, I initially, I didn't put this line in the book, but like when I fell off the treadmill, you know, because... The treadmill has been such a, you know, a, a symbol of kind of mm-hmm. the just pushing, the pounding, the like effort um, for for many things, work, capitalism, like everything, mm-hmm. like including like you know, chasing validation from your parents, just all these things. And so, I when I fell off the treadmill, I certainly was so hurt. And you know, even though I told everyone at the office I'm I'm fine, but I actually had this thought that God push me off the treadmill. Like this, like I'm not religious. So there's just like, no, I get of, it. I get this universe. I was like, this is the universe giving mm-hmm. me a sign to get off the treadmill. Yep. And what do I do? Mm-hmm. I get right back on, <laughs> you know? And so I don't learn that lesson. You do though. It just takes a bit. It, t- it took, a long time. Yeah.
0: you know, you don't always act on the lessons you learn. They like sink in. And sometimes it takes a little bit to, to actually inspire action.
2: Yes. Because I think you're you're totally right. Some of those pivotal moments, both both in my life that that I show in the book, it it, it takes me a, a while to actually absorb and kind of mm-hmm. make into action what I want to do. Like for example, I knew that the relationship I had in the in the book was fairly toxic, and I wanted to leave, but it it was still a back and forth for a very long time for me to to come to terms with. A final decision, you know, and, and it's the same thing about the burnout I had in, in this job at, as the assistant, because there were so many parts of the job that I did enjoy. And it, it was beyond the, you know, the glamour, the perks, the pay, the raises, it was just, I was surrounded by people who worked really hard, who wanted to be the best. And yeah. I, that, that is such I think that's such a real thing that I think many people still want to be a part of, you know, and I was inspired by that world. And actually it's because I was inspired by so many people who were pushing themselves to be the best version of what they wanted to be in their career, which, which was more on the financial investment side. I realized, you know, I want to do that, but I should, I actually want to do my own thing in a different field, you know? So
0: this is like when I went to business school and I realized there were people who were like legitimately obsessed with marketing. And I'm like, no, I like marketing and I'll, I'm happy to keep working in marketing and marketing is part of everything, but like, I'm not obsessed with marketing. Like I'm obsessed with writing. Like I love the literary, everything about the literary world. Like, wait, 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 am I supposed to be obsessed with marketing?
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, you know, when, you know, I had my degrees in math and finance. I was also at Wharton. Like I I am still interested in all those things. Like in publishing, I'm interested in the business side of yeah. writing and career and all, all the same questions. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I had a line in my book, like what you do in your free time, such that your spare time to me seems mistaken. Like mm-hmm. I read and I write yep. and I also plan. I love planning. I'm a planner. I'm a sk- scheduler. And so, you know, it's like, how can I make those things that I do in my free time work for me? And it just, yeah. it just, Took a while and I, I needed a day job to be able to get there where where now I can be full time. But it's because I put put in those years where I was yep. able to really question myself. And you know, yes, there are people who are totally obsessed with things like <laughs> marketing. And I, I and I really know haven't worked on like literally obsessed with mm-hmm. you know financial documents. And that's great. That's great for them. And I could see their love of that and I'm like, but I love stories. I love stories. I love characters. I love people. And it's okay I don't love numbers as much. I didn't know yeah, that it, until.
0: Yeah. It's just hard when we're so smart and can do everything well. It's just really tough. Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just say I don't. But yes, I'm kidding. just <laughs> kidding. But it, <laughs> you can have lots of interests and it's okay. You can have exactly.
2: lots Exactly. Exactly. And in my book I I really want to raise the question of just this idea that, you know, initially it can sometimes sound like a cliche of just like finding out your own path and doing things your own way. Mm-hmm. But I think that sometimes what what I want to focus on is how sometimes what to other people might look like going backwards is actually you just doing it your own way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was actually on the investment side right after college and then for actually a about a year, I was a portfolio manager. I got into business school. Like I, I was on this like financial track. And then I quit. And then when I quit, I was kind of, I mean, I was technically unemployed, you know, but I was taking classes. I was, you know, doing all these things. And so I got a lot of questioning, like, yeah. are you really going to give up your career to kind of go backwards? Mm-hmm. And then when I was taking those classes in the humanities, I was like 20, I dropped out of business school at 26. So I was 26, 27, 28 when my classmates were in, in their 20. So I was kind of going backwards. You know, I was 28. My classmates were 20. when I was taking these classes, I was also, I went from making, you know, a paycheck that is commensurate with being in finance to, to no paycheck, um, and living off my savings. So in some senses, I, I, I was going backward to the outside world, but for me, mm-hmm. I was moving closer to the thing I wanted to do. It just kind of looked like not, you know? And so I yeah. feel like, and, Tell me how you feel about this,
0: but I feel like there's a piece of you that feels some sort of shame that like you couldn't hack it in that culture or like that you feel a little guilty leaving Boone when you told him you would be there forever. Like, I feel like you haven't quite a hundred percent come to terms with your decision, even though you know, it's the right one. I feel like you still have some lingering feelings about it. Am I wrong?
2: My lingering feelings are that this is, I think my, just talking about me in particular, because you brought it like, I think I will always love work. And there's always a little part of me that still wants to do it all. And I know that's sort of a kind of myth that a uh, certain, especially women of a certain generation, I, I feel like mine millennial, but also one generation above me and below, like we kind of want to have it all, you know, and it's very difficult to, for someone who wants to work really hard to to be able to give that up that dream fully. And I, I probably work more being a freelance writer now than I actually did at my former job. But the difference is, I think the main difference is that I get to have time control over my day. And so that gives me a feeling of agency that I was never able to cultivate Mm -hmm. in the role that I I was in previously.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This
0: message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Well, and I'm curious why you saved this piece of your story for the very, very end. But you do have a situation, and I don't know if you, I should not say it because it comes so late, but in college where there was a, a moment where you were not in control and then you were not believed and the impact of that and sort of, what does that signal to you when like, I don't know, like where does that take your path forward when you've gone through something like that?
2: That's a, a great question. And I, I think, yes, it comes late in the book, but I'll, I'll just mention because I I, I think it w- will just be out there is that I was yes. sexually assaulted my first semester in in college. And just, I really believe in such a traumatic moment. There is not one right way to respond or interpret it. And for me, while the assault was, extremely bad. And the institutional response for me was much, much, much worse. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I decided, you know, this is in 2000, all well, of 2003, I decided to, which is, I just mentioned that because it was well before me too. Mm-hmm. I, you know, really felt so low in that. You know, this is my first semester of college. I'm 18. And I decided to go forward with filing a Title IX report because I really felt it was the right thing to do. I knew I was up against a lot just like me versus the institution. But nevertheless, I, I want to try to be heard, even though ultimately I was not heard. And I that experience was so traumatizing that I didn't realize the trauma at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I just told myself I would never, ever spend one additional second thinking about it. Because, because of that experience, I received incompletes. I really felt like it really just ruined my college experience that I would I worked so hard to get into. My parents like really sacrificed so much to pay for. And it just was really kind of ruined in the you know first couple months at college. And so I was determined to not let that experience both define who I am and also influence the rest of my career. And so I was I, I considered dropping out of college or certainly MIT. But I was like, why should I have to be the person to drop out and change my life when someone else committed this, what I believe is is a crime? And so I was determined to finish my degree and not let that just kind of ruin my career. And so instead, instead of having that experience slow me down, I really tried to speed up. And I graduated MIT in three years, and you know, everyone used to say to me, like, "Oh, you must be so smart. You must be so ambitious." And it's like, well, no. I was just trying to get out of hell. I was trying to escape this hell situation at school, in which, you know, socially it was very difficult because both men and women judged me a lot for reporting what I did. But I had friends come up to me, both explicitly, actually, uh, and also, you know, friends of friends who would whisper to me that the same thing happened to them and they did not report it because they saw what happened to me. So once again, I'm a cautionary tale, as you said. So my book is a cautionary tale about how easy it is to have our work life be out of balance. And that sexual assault story, unfortunately, is also a cautionary tale about what can happen in an institute when you try to speak up in an institution. And the reason why I included it at the very end is it, it is just simply true that that experience is so not front of mind for me, partly because for me to recover from that trauma, I had to completely block it out of my mind such that like I when the first time I thought about it again in decades, I I actually couldn't remember the person's name at all. (laughs) And so it just wasn't front of mind. But then, you know, part of my book, there's this whole question of speaking up, when do you speak up for yourself? And it just made me think of the moments where I tried to speak up for myself when I was in pain, hurt, trying to do the right thing, when I was just so overwhelmed that I had no other avenue except to speak up to who I thought was in power. And so in, in my sexual assault case, it was at MIT, the institution that I would report it to. And in, in the job I write about in, in the book is my boss, who is is the owner of that hedge fund. And you know, I would say that the institutional response in both cases was in some ways trying to do the right thing. So I I, w- I won't say it's like all good or bad. I don't believe in these like just so clearly delineated markers. But nevertheless, I felt eaten up and used by the institution and ultimately not heard, disregarded, and it was painful. And so, yeah.
0: I'm so Sorry. Because you keep you you keep trying to speak up, which is what we're all told to do. Yeah, like you just keep doing it, and then even Boone was like, "Why didn't you say something?" And yeah. you show us the many times that you say something, and you're and we're like, "Well, what on earth? What is he talking about? Yes, why is nobody hearing you? It's like yeah. it must make you feel like you're going crazy. Like honestly, yes, <laughs> I
2: actually felt I I had so much. Another cautionary tale moment, and I hope, you know, other readers might um, sense, is just the the cycle of self-blame. I blame myself so much for not being able to cut it, for like, maybe I should have spoken up more. And it's like, no, actually, I spoke up in many different instances, both in terms of small situations and large. Like mm-hmm. the example we were talking about at MIT I, re- I reported that to my superiors, which are my resident advisors, within the hour, within the hour. And that was a not not enough speaking up, as it were. And so... Well, and, at, and at first, she
0: was like, are you sure? Didn't she, she say, are you sure that happened? <laughs> are you sure
2: that happened to you? And yeah, like, what on earth? What kind of question is that? Yeah, it's like, it just happened minutes ago. So yes, it just happened. And so it reminded me of, you know, when I was speaking up to my boss in the book, Boone, and I was... I told him I was burnt out and he told me I was overwhelmed, burnt out, emotionally, just totally exhausted, physically exhausted as well. Um, I was having, you know, major physical issues. And he tells me, but you look great to me. And it's like, okay, I just need to, I feel like you're, in, he's trying to tell me a re, my reality that is not my truth, you know? And so.
0: He also told you you should just take a break for 15 minutes and you'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Taking breaks, I think.
0: I feel like in another 10 years or 20 years, you're going to have a new interpretation of all of this. You know, what I mean? like I think yeah. you're still really in it and I think I'm hoping for you that writing this book and the people reading it and the responses and like the ability to examine it all is it will hopefully make you feel more at peace because you've really had a lot of stuff happen to you, you know? And I don't know, maybe you got to get like a great therapist or something. That's not just oh, like, yeah.
2: I still see the same therapist I had in the book. I see okay. her like, every week. I it's, it's not that there's anything wrong. Like just you've had stuff happen to
0: you that, that you have to, reconcile, not to mention yes. the very strong opinions of your parents who obviously love you very much, but have their own set of stuff. I just feel like, I hope you, uh, I hope you have, and I know you have a good friend who you read, read in the book a lot. I just like left the book feeling like, gosh, I hope that she has somebody who, and I guess you're married now. Is that right? You're yeah. married. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that that's all great. And you have somebody you feel like you can talk to and like, oh. you know, because not that there's anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just like, that was a lot. It was just a lot. That's a lot.
2: All. Thank you so much for saying that, um, Zibby, because it is and was a lot. Like both my therapist and friends tell me it's like, you know, 10 years of things happening in two years that I wrote about in a book. And so it does take a while to unpack the meaning of all that and com- really come to terms. And also when I was researching the book, just it's severe burnout, which is how I, I would cap- categorize what what I was experiencing. My therapist literally said your job is killing you. Yep. That itself can have traumatic scars. And coming out of it is it's is it is a version of post-traumatic stress. And so it does take a very long time to yep. overcome the both psychological and physical scars of yep. that period, which I actually have on my knees, you know, yep. as you know, it is so yeah. Not
0: to mention, like, all the eating stuff, which we don't even have time to oh, get into. But, like, <laughs> you know, we could have a whole separate podcast just on that, you know? Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's just it all speaks to your very human and understandable need for control in all of these situations that were out of your control. And the best way, of course, is writing a book about it. So there you go.
2: <laughs> it is. Amazing. Writing is really, you yeah. know, for me, it wasn't so much, it wasn't therapeutic or cathartic in the sense that, like when I was doing it, it felt healing. When I was doing it, it felt absolutely completely painful. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also had to, I think many writers go through a version of this, and especially those who write memoirs, confront a past version of themselves that maybe they feel that either they're not ready to confront yet or have awkward feelings about. And so, you know, I had a lot of those. And so the, the point is just to... The more I had those feelings, the more I said, okay, this is where I need to go and question why I feel this sense. And so I I tried to put all, all those feelings onto the page. Check plus. <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. I hope to continue this conversation some other way. I feel like we're just scratching the surface.
2: Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Vinny. All right.
0: Good you. luck with launch and everything. Okay. Thank bye you so much. Bye. Bye. bye.